Good morning. Welcome to the Vince Coakley radio program. Glad you are back with us as we start of another broadcast day. Hope all is well in your world. You know, we can have a lot of discussions that are in the category of what I would characterize as theoretical. Theoretical. You know, it's it's one thing to have a conversation about things that may happen, that could happen. But when you experience the reality of those things, it's a very, very different picture. I've said very often about the pro-life issue, to me, from a political standpoint. It is, from my perspective, it's the most important issue. And I say that because, as we look at the Constitution and we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it all begins with life. And if you don't uphold the integrity of life itself, the other two really don't matter, do they? I know the mainstream media has had a field day, and I'm sure they will have plenty of more celebrations over the political implications. The left is convinced this is a winning issue for them now. They want to characterize people who are pro-life as being extremists, and they want to characterize those who support the right to kill babies as being in the mainstream. Those are the mainstream people. And we're on the extreme because we are opposed to the woman's right to choose. What I think is really intriguing is the impact, the real-life impact of Roe versus Wade and the end of Roe versus Wade. I don't even know what the final count leading up to the end of Roe versus Wade was, if I remember correctly. Was it approaching 60 million babies killed during that era? On the flip side of this, it's time for us to do some celebrations. By the way, on this subject, if I may interrupt myself with my ADHD mind, a dear friend of mine, and um, I think she's been on this program. She's involved in pro-life ministry. Just a dear lady. Lives in my neighborhood. She is just the epitome to me of a genuine pro-life person. Why do I say this? I say this because this woman is not just someone who's out carrying signs. She's involved in ministry to help women who have an unexpected pregnancy or a troubled pregnancy or in troubled situations. She helps to find the means to meet the needs of the women that she comes across. They do baby showers for women who decide to keep their babies. It's all about resourcing people. And, and, and that alone makes all the difference in the world. When, when that woman who is in a situation maybe she didn't plan on 
when she realizes there are people who genuinely care, not just about her baby, but that really they care about her. I hope I get the name of this ministry right. I think it's called Truth, Mercy, Life, something like that. Her name is Cheryl. And who knows how many lives that she has saved. And, and I would dare say this is not just about saving the lives of babies. It's about saving the lives of women whose lives would have been ravaged by destroying the life within them. So why do I start here today? I start here today. This is a Breitbart story that talks about the impact of Roe versus Wade. There is a study that has been done by the Institute of Labor Economics, or IZA. This study indicates approximately 32,000 babies in the U.S. were born this year that may have otherwise been aborted. 32,000 babies. The study conducted after the fall of Roe versus Wade, and I love the way Breitbart wrote this story, after the fall of Roe versus Wade last summer, a 1973 Supreme Court decision that had invented the right to abortion, because that's exactly what happened. It was an invented right. The purpose of the study was to figure out how post-Roe abortion bans are affecting fertility, with researchers using provisional state resident birth counts to estimate how births are changing in states that have outlawed abortion relative to pro-abortion states. Here's what they have concluded. Our primary analysis indicates that in the first six months of 2023, births rose by an average of 2.3% in states enforcing total abortion bans compared to a control group of states where abortion rights remain protected, amounting to approximately 32,000 additional annual births resulting from abortion bans. Study's authors ultimately called their post-Roe shift the most profound transformation of the landscape of U.S. abortion access in 50 years. As of the 1st of November, 14 states enforcing bans on abortion in nearly all circumstances, 23% of U.S. women of reproductive age have experienced an increase in driving distance to the nearest abortion facility from an average of 43 miles one way, before Dobbs, to 330 miles at present. I have no apology for this at all. You have to drive further to kill a baby? I'm all for it. The study found the effects on abortion stats, especially large for women 20 to 24 and Hispanic women, with birth rates estimated to have increased 3.3% and 4.7% respectively. The estimated increases were larger in states like Mississippi, 4.4%, Texas, 5.1%, where the geography of bans renders interstate travel more costly. The authors of the study appear to view 32,000 extra births as negative news, suggesting evidence points to diminished abortion access that poses a risk to the health and financial stability of vulnerable populations. The study reads, in 2020, one in five pregnancies ended abortion. At the time they seek abortion, 75% of patients are low income. 
59% of previously given birth, 55% report a recent disruptive life event, like falling behind on the rent or losing a job. Focus on that first stat for a moment. 75% low income. I recognize a lot of this is driven by economics. I don't diminish or dismiss this concern. So the question comes back to all of us. Are we willing to help pay the price to save lives? Because if economics alone, if economics is the issue, there's much that we can do here. Law or no law. We've got a little more on this story as we continue our broadcast. The 2023 Bronco Nagurski Awards Banquet, presented by Coca-Cola Consolidated. It's coming up Monday, December 4th, at the Charlotte Convention Center, in conjunction with the Charlotte Touchdown Club and Football Writers Association of America. The gala event will feature the nation's top five collegiate defensive football players, along with the recipients of the Bronco Nagurski Legends and Fender of the Nation's Awards. Visit WBT.com for more information. The proceeds benefit the Charlotte Touchdown Club Scholarship Fund. News Talk 1110 WBT is a proud media partner of the Touchdown Club. Visit WBT.com for more information. As I mentioned, if you'd like to join the conversation, our phone number is 704-570-1110. I started off talking about 32,000. The number of live births that we've had additional this year, according to a study from the Institute of Labor Economics. And one of the things we've learned, and this is really not new, but a lot of these concerns related to abortion are driven by economics. I remind you again, 75% of patients, low income, low income. In a comment to the New York Times, Student for Life president Kristen Hawkins noted the insinuation of a lot of coverage of such data is it's a bad thing for there to be more children welcomed in states with better laws than in states that fast-track abortion. It's a triumph that pro-life policies result in lives saved. Uh, yeah. This study comes after reports from pro-abortion organizations that abortions have increased since the Supreme Court overturned Roe, with women traveling to neighboring pro-abortion states or ordering abortion pills online. The IZA study notes that estimates of surging abortion volumes in states bordering states with strong pro-life laws suggest that travel is indeed occurring. Moreover, even for those pregnant people who are unable to find a way to manage the logistics and costs of a lengthy trip to receive health care services. <laughs> Organizations such as Aid Access will supply medication abortion via mail to ban states for pregnant people to self-manage their abortions safely and effectively. 
Evidence of surging requests to aid access suggests this is also occurring. So we celebrate the lives that have been saved yet at the same time. I hope we understand this is ultimately at the core not a political issue. This is a heart issue. This is a human issue. And yes, it is a human rights issue. About human beings that have a right to exist. And above all, we need to pray that the hearts of Americans would be changed. That is what's really necessary. A heart change. A lot of people have been propagandized on this issue. And we've talked about this plenty of times before. Their messaging, the messaging they've received really for decades. They've just been hammered with this message about this is a women's issue, women's issue, women's issue, women's rights. And so many men have taken this in and they believe that. Which is unfortunate. Stay tuned. We'll see how this unfolds in the coming months on the political stage, for one. But beyond that, what happens in the hearts and minds of Americans? We have a developing story that we may have an update on during the course of this broadcast, depending on events in the courtroom. Right now, we have a sentencing hearing underway for Alex Murdoch. As you know, he's the man who was already convicted of killing his wife and his son. If you're familiar with that case, there's a whole lot of financial fraud that took place. And today, after his guilty plea, he is awaiting sentencing. That hearing is taking place right now. We'll keep you posted on how that goes to learn more about the fate of one Alex Murdoch. At this point, barring a successful overturning of his sentence or trial or a new trial, um, does this really matter much in terms of adding on to a sentence for killing his wife and his son? Well, time will tell. We will learn what happens hopefully, during the course of this broadcast this morning. We have some other good news developing this morning. This on the Israeli-Hamas front. Another 10 Israeli hostages set to be freed as the first of a two-day extension of a temporary truce between Israel and Hamas. It's underway today. The Office of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said it received a list of the names of those getting released and their families have been informed. Israeli authorities also issued a list of 30 Palestinians detained in Israeli prisons who would be freed in line with the truce agreement, which calls for three Palestinians to be released in exchange for each hostage. If I might suggest here... um, This has been a masterful deal for Hamas. I mean, it's quite clear that 
uh, they have committed a crime here. They've kidnapped, in addition to the massacre that took place on October 7th, they now are illegally holding these folks. And now they are getting three Palestinians in exchange for each hostage. Obviously, this is not fair. But it also shows you the value that Israel places on human lives, that they're willing to go with this deal. And we hope and pray that ultimately every single person who is still still in custody is freed safely. That is our hope and our prayer. So the release will leave about 170 Israelis still with Hamas. And we may have another 10 released on Wednesday, which would be day two of the extension. A further two-day extension is possible as the deal brokered by Qatar calls for extending the truce by one day for every additional 10 hostages freed. But Hamas says it does not have all the hostages, some of whom are being held by other armed groups. This is something we talked about yesterday as well, that this is part of the complication. There are other groups holding these hostages that Hamas has to work with to get them free. So our hopes and prayers are that this would be the pathway to ultimate resolution so that every single hostage is free. We're back on the Vince Coakley radio program. 36 minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock. A lot of discussion the past couple of days about what's going on with the Carolina Panthers with another coach getting the boot. And really, a lot of attention now focused on the man who owns the team because it seems like there's a consensus out there that the owner is the problem. He is speaking right now. Uh, Let's listen in a bit to a live news conference that he is holding. My funeral in 30 years. Okay, maybe it's 40 years, I hope. But uh, that's what I'd like to have. Next we'll have uh, Mike Kane and Eric Spanberg. Yeah, you preached. uh, You talked about about your patience. It's a lot of preaching that I'm doing. (laughs) Uh, You you talked about your patience. Uh, When you moved on from Ron Rivera, you urged the fan base to have patience in terms of bringing in sustained excellence, sustained success. What would your message to fans be now, uh, four years later, that maybe feel like their patience hasn't been rewarded or or it's not moving in the right direction right now? You know, um, uh, every week, you know, I watch these games. And I've watched, you know, been around football for a long time. And listen, once upon a time, I was just a fan, poor kid in Pittsburgh. That's what I was. So I know what it is to be a fan, and every day, every week we come in, it's part of us are fans. Okay, Nicole and I sit in that box, and we live and die with every play. Uh, so I understand how the fans, and I understand their frustration, and I appreciate that. Um, I can just say this, we will make it better. I'm not promising that's going to happen tomorrow, but it may, okay? Football is a really interesting thing, what can happen in two or three year time span. And what you're trying to do is have every single building block you can for, you know, an organization. And in this organization, you know, while you don't see it, you know, because you see all you see is on the field, but you guys may know it or may not know it. 
but behind the scenes there's been a lot of different changes in the building and a lot of things that have come, become a lot better inside the building you know and just just how different people communicate you know health you know um strength room and you know and uh, medical people you know um football operations nutrition all those things all those building blocks underneath the surface have gotten better than when i stepped in the door listen there there they may be easier things to do okay and so we have to make sure that every the other things that the fans can't see is better too and also i would say that for you know uh engagement with past past panthers and that you know you should invite you to talk to people who you know legends that were here at the panthers so we have not gotten what what the fans see every day right i understand their frustration we share that frustration every sunday with them Okay, there you have David Tepper, and I can just imagine there are collective groans right now that have been expressed as you've listened on your radios to what has been communicated by David Tepper, because you're thinking, as I'm thinking, do any of you care about all the things that are going on behind the scenes right now with the Panthers? Do you care? about the atmospherics and how things have changed for the better. At the end of the day, which you are looking for is a team that wins. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a novel idea, isn't it? So really, none of this matters at all that you've just heard. Now, I, in all fairness, because I've not heard the whole news conference, so I have no idea what else he has communicated. But I'm a big believer that when it comes to leadership, you've got to have the perspective. The buck stops here. It really does. You want to blame somebody? This is what I want to hear out of David Tepper. You want to blame somebody? Blame me. And that will go a long way for me to have some measure of respect for this man. So far, I, I don't know that I've heard this. And again, in all fairness, I've not heard the rest of the news conference. And I'll be reaching out to our friends, our friends in the sports department to get their perspective, having listened to the entire thing. And uh, we'll see where this goes. We'll talk a little bit more about this. In fact... I've got in my, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid using familiar language that someone else used. But in my uh, collection of material for today, we'll put it that way, <laughs> we're planning to talk about a number of items that are related to this. And the amazing thing is the message is all the same. You look at the media, listen to the fans, they're all saying the same thing. This is a David Tepper problem. He's the problem. We'll talk about this a little bit more uh, later on in the broadcast. So stay with us. I don't want to delve into this lightly because this is such an important subject. You heard about the truce that has been extended. You also heard in the news with Brandon Dixon the allegation from the Israelis that Hamas has violated some of the terms of this truce. We also have another developing story here in America, and that's the ongoing anti-Israel bigotry.
the contempt against Jews. Coming up, going to share some really interesting perspectives from one of my favorite people. This guy's actually a liberal. And he has hit right on the head what is going on, especially with our schools, our educational system. And I'm telling you, folks, we've got to get we've got to get a handle on this because our children are being brainwashed. I, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine. And <laughs> this friend of mine said, you know, these folks probably don't even know how to spell Palestine and they probably have no idea where it is. And he's right. We'll talk about this and much more as we continue our Tuesday broadcast. We also have Transformation Tuesday. Earlier in the broadcast, we talked about the 32,000 lives saved. According to a study in the wake of the downfall of Roe versus Wade, Keith writes in, remember he's the guy who said, I agree with you 5% of the time. Hope you are well. I'm pro-choice, but I like people that disagree with my stance actually taking positive steps. I like that the person was least willing to throw a baby shower for pregnant women rather than pressure them and have these silly protests. You would be surprised how little love in the world can go a long way. Yeah. Peace to you and family. Again, I disagree on the issue. Isn't it awesome we can talk about it without being at each other's throats? Yes. Very important. And again, the place of common ground is on our humanity toward each other. Even Keith agrees as a apparently pro-choice person. He's saying, you know, this is awesome. A person who's willing to step in and say, hey, let me meet your needs. That's a place of common ground. And I think we would find if we had more of these kinds of things taking place, a lot of these issues would probably go away. That's my suspicion. Still to come in the broadcast, we have Transformation Tuesday. You know, it's kind of interesting to me. I... A good friend of mine, we had some kind of, by the way, before I go into this, this friend of mine shared with me how I, w- I was quite astounded because I was asking, we were talking about family, and he was telling me about the age of his mother. I said, well, wait a second. That means your mom had you when she was 15. He said, yeah. I, I haven't discussed this yet, but it immediately went through my mind how many people would have potentially urged this woman, this girl, not woman, girl, to get an abortion. She can't take care of a little baby, a little baby boy. I'm very thankful for this friend and the fact that he happened to come from a mom who chose life. Raised mostly by his grandparents, his grandmother. Just another interesting tidbit to throw out there in this ongoing discussion. I want to tell you about uh, an interesting 
item here. I think you have time. Yes. Jonathan Turley, who's one of my favorite legal minds. This guy's a liberal, and I love his fairness. He made reference to what happened. You've probably seen this up in Queens at Hillcrest High School. This is a bizarre story. A New York teacher had to lock herself in her office as hundreds of high school students rioted after learning she posted a pro-Israeli statement on Facebook. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Dozens of police had to be called to quell the riot, which caused property damage throughout the school. The chaos started shortly after 11 o'clock after students discovered an image on the teacher's account from a pro-Israel rally showing her holding a poster reading, I stand with Israel. How dare she? Hundreds of students reportedly ran into the hallways waving Palestinian flags and destroying property for roughly two hours, including pulling a fountain out of the wall. They posted images on social media with the controversial slogan, From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Students reportedly attempted to breach the teacher's classroom as school staff fought to block them. They now want the teacher fired for her personal political views. As the teacher was rushed to her office for her protection, roughly 25 NYPD officers rushed to the school. Yet some students said they have located the teacher's home address and family information for further protests. This is a chilling example of the threats faced at schools today. The call for the teacher to be terminated is unfortunately nothing new. For years, many of us have written about this intolerance and intimidation in schools. Yet the violence and hatred shown in this protest shows why so many feel unsafe in our schools. We've come to the point where teachers are locking themselves in their offices for protection? These students did not just spontaneously learn this behavior. They've been told for years they do not have to tolerate opposing views. We're now seeing that intolerance graduate into violence. Jonathan Turley is right on the money. These kids have learned from the adults. If you disagree, if you disagree with me, how dare you disagree with me? There will be consequences. We're coming after you. You have a right to your opinion, but you have a right to shut up and not share your opinion on social media or anywhere else if it disagrees with mine. And if it does disagree with mine, there will be hell to pay. This is happening in America, folks. And Jonathan Turley correctly laments what has happened in our political atmosphere and the fact that we are raising young people with this idea that it's okay to be intolerant. And you know, the, the irony of all of this, these are the folks who've been raised on the idea of tolerance, haven't they? See, it's not a question of tolerance. It's a matter of how that tolerance is directed. See, we tolerate stupidity. We tolerate immorality. We tolerate all kinds of things that may need to be condemned. But when it comes to people who disagree with us, that's when the knives come out. It's ironic, isn't it? 
from the folks who have been preaching about peace and tolerance and getting along. They don't mean a word of it. Oh, yes, they agree with it. As long as you agree with them and support their ideas. But you darn well better not step outside of the belief system that they embrace. Or they're coming after you as well. You may find yourself hiding in an office somewhere. Or worse. Love to get your thoughts as we continue the broadcast of the Vince Coakley Radio Program, approaching the top of the hour for news still to come. We have Transformation Tuesday. You know, you you hear me talk all the time about people caught up in positions and titles. You're going to learn what it really means to be a good leader. I'm going to talk about this much more as we continue the broadcast. Stay with us. Hour number two of the Vince Coakley Radio Program on this Tuesday. Still come, we have some breaking news. A big development in the 2024 presidential contest. An endorsement, which is going to cause some shockwaves. How's that for a tease? We'll get to that coming up in a bit. Before I get to Transformation Tuesday, one of the things that I... Probably one of the most important words that I have... Uh, really used a lot over the last 15 years of my life is the word organic. And organic basically means one thing. It means life. Life. So when I talk about organic, I'm talking about something that is life-bearing. One of the problems with so many of the things that we're doing, they're really not life-bearing. We're following institutional patterns or rules and rituals and regulations. And and I'm saying this first in the church where we've really got this jacked up. So we miss the real essence of what primarily what, what God's trying to accomplish. And we end up with substandard everywhere, whether it's church, family, business, It doesn't work very well because the life-bearing aspect of it is just not there. It was interesting because I was talking with a friend of mine the other day and we were discussing, and I'm not going to, in case you watch this particular show, I'm not going to tell you what show it is. We were watching a show where just a humble rank-and-file police officer kind of figured out there was something more to really a series of murders than met the eye. And this person was very meticulous about putting some of these connections together and figured out there's something bigger. And the chief, who just recently got thrown into that position, a very, very uh, (laughs) unqualified person, just kind of stumbled into the position, and they thought, oh, this needs to be our angle. We need to check other towns and see what the angle, you know, whether they have crimes that have happened like this. See, this is one of the things you never do. It's one of the things you, you know, I've learned just from watching air crash investigation. You go into the investigation with a blank slate. 
You don't go into it with the idea of what you've heard from the news media. You let the clues, the evidence, drive you to a conclusion. You don't come with an agenda. Oh, I think this is what this is. And then you try to prove that. Let the evidence lead. This officer did that. By the way, in this story, that I won't tell you what it is, because I don't want to spoil it. It's a really good show. Ultimately, it turns out, the officer, her instincts were right. And this was a much bigger thing than the moron police chief ever imagined. Interestingly enough, at the end of that particular series, I've kind of tipped my hand a little bit. It turns out the chief recognizes I'm in over my head and decides to quit. And says, you know what, this job really belongs to you. You're the one who has the instincts. That's the real stuff. When somebody has the goods, they're going to make a way. The problem is corporate America, much of the church world and our society doesn't operate that way. This is all about kissing people's rear ends and playing games and politics rather than finding out what's the true gifting. Who really has the goods? And if, if somebody else has something that I need and, and, and I don't have, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to defer. Show me what you have. Let me receive from you. You be the leader. I don't necessarily have the gifting here. So I'm willing to follow. Which is a lead-in to a very powerful post from my good friend, Dr. Steve Crosby. And he titles this, Okay, I Will Be the Idiot You Admire. Not exactly very flattering, is it? Steve says, We must not read Scripture naively and romantically. It's obvious that Paul was in conflict with his churches and with other itinerant apostles. The conflict language is all over Romans, Galatians, and the Corinthian letters, as well as the others to a lesser degree. In particular, 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about it is necessary to boast, etc. Why? Because his opponents were boasting about their credentials to apostleship and denigrating his. He's defending his apostleship to the Corinthians using irony. Okay, if you want me to behave like an idiot, here goes. You want me to act like all the others you admire so highly? Okay, you force me to behave like a fool and act like them. Paul was no mincer of words. He did not dance around issues worrying about hurting someone's feelings. So in 2 Corinthians, <laughs> he uses lists of his sufferings and persecutions that he experienced as his boasting credentials. Notice what he's boasting about. Not the size of his crowds, not the letters behind his name. What is he boasting about? His sufferings, his persecutions. Those types of lists were a very well-known rhetorical device used by philosophers and missionaries of other religions as a means of proving how great their God is by listing out all the different mighty things their God did for them by protecting them from harm, thus proving their God was real. Paul, in his usual cruciform brilliance, and to clarify, for those of you not familiar with this word, cruciform is basically recognizing everything that is of value in the kingdom passes through the paradigm of the cross. 
He uses his opponent's motive, boasting, and his opponent's method, divine valor lists, and turns them upside down by listing all the things his God did not deliver him from. And Steve put that in all caps. As proof of the inverted power in the cross. Sneaking out of a town in a basket over the wall at night is not exactly an apostolic resume builder that will impress the Corinthians or modern evangelicals in charismatics. This from the Paul who said, My strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what the Lord communicated through Paul. My strength made perfect in weakness. This is a major theme of 2 Corinthians. Rather than grasping for power and prestige like his opponents, he claims his apostleship is legitimate because it reflects the weakness of the cross, the wisdom of the cross. It is his identification, imitation with, and in the cross that someone with eyes to see can recognize his apostleship. To the Galatians, Jesus Christ was crucified before your eyes in Paul. Therefore, without arrogance or real boasting, he can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He had learned and was learning presence in absence. He suffers on their behalf. I will therefore spend and be spent by you, though you love me the less for it. There, Steve says, is what true apostleship is. I therefore spend and will be spent by you, though your love be the less for it. We're going to talk a little bit more about this and get your thoughts as we continue. I'm sure you're feeling it now, that chill in the air. It's here in Charlotte. It's time for the 30th annual Hancock's Bikes for Kids. Please join the spirit of giving. Start by John Hancock and donate a new bike for a child in need this Christmas. We'll gather Friday, December 8th. That's a week from Friday. If you can believe it, it's coming up. Here at WBT and all of the WBT personalities will be on hand to say hello. Hancock's Bikes for Kids presented in partnership with WBTV. Friday, December 8th. 5 to 9 p.m. Sponsored by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina. Visit WBT.com for more details on this. For Transformation Tuesday, I just want to put a bow on what I was communicating earlier about leadership, what being an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, whatever it is the person claims to be. The credentials are found in suffering Not in so many of the things that people offer as their credentials. And one of my favorite lines, and I've learned this and learned this and learned this and seen this demonstrated by people I admire and respect and I follow. I love this line. I will therefore spend and be spent by you, though you love me the less for it. See, I see a lot of people, and I understand because a lot of people are outside the realm of kingdom life. You know, I'm just going to spend time focusing on people who love and care for me. You know, that's really nice. Nice sentiment. It's not Paul. Paul's saying here, I'm willing to spend and be spent by you, even though you may love me less. <laughs> this is not a good marketing strategy at all, is it? But this is a lot of what drives, this is what drives the kingdom. 
what Paul's describing, the antithesis of what drives much of what we are doing in the name of church and religion. So I'm looking, my eyes, my ears, my heart is open for those places where people are serving, where they've been tested, where they've been through trials. Those are the marks of their leadership. It's not the size of the audience, not the size of the church. It's not letters behind the name. Show me a person who is spending and is willing to be spent personally for others who may not even care for them. And that's somebody I want to be identified with. On the Vince Coakley radio program, 24 minutes after the hour of 11 o'clock, ready for that breaking news. This is on a major endorsement. NBC News reports anti-Trump network backed by Charles Koch. You remember the Koch brothers? Has endorsed, drumroll please, Nikki Haley. And a big loss for Ron DeSantis. In fact... Ron DeSantis had strong ties to this group when he ran for governor. The political network financed largely by billionaire Charles Koch endorsing former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, in the Republican primary, affording her new support against her Republican rivals in the fight to be the alternative to Donald Trump. The announcement made in a memo to grassroots activists on the network's advocacy arm today. It's being backed by a multi-million dollar ad campaign beginning this week in states that hold early primary contests and several that vote on Super Tuesday. Here is what Emily Seidel, the senior advisor to AFP Action, said in a statement. When we announced our decision to engage in our first ever Republican presidential primary, we made it clear we'd be looking for a candidate who can turn the page on our political dysfunction and win. This is so desperately needed. It's clear the candidate is Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley represents a new generation of leadership and offers a bold, positive vision for our future. AFP Action is proud to endorse her and will do everything we can to help make her the next president of the United States. I know there's a collective gag that's taking place in many parts of South Carolina right now. I get it. I really do get it. By the way, and I want to make very clear, I'm not feeling the Nikki Haley thing. I'm just not. Unless there's something I'm missing, I, 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 I'm just not, not onto this at all. But I'm just telling you, this is what they have put out. So, a big loss here for Ron DeSantis. And I'm sure he was counting on this endorsement. While Haley stands to gain support in key primary states... Florida Governor Ron DeSantis appears to be at the losing end of the decision. He struggles to find traction and has tried to find a spark to propel his listless campaign. This was not an easy decision for AFP. Governor DeSantis has been a good ally and a champion of many policy positions of AFP in the state of Florida. But Nikki Haley also was an early ally going back to the Tea Party movement when she ran for governor of South Carolina and is also aligned on the issues. 
donors to Americans for Prosperity, a piece of the political arm of the larger Koch network, had pressed the deep-pocketed group to make a decision and use the resources to boost a preferred candidate sooner rather than later, according to sources familiar with the decision. The push by donors came as the Republican primary field shrank after former Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Tim Scott dropped out. So it's Nikki Haley. What do you think about this endorsement? Does it make a difference to you at all? I suspect for many of you it doesn't. But we shall see. Coming up. We're going to have a little bit of a, uh, I don't know what I would call this, but let's just say that there is somewhat of an awakening that is taking place among evangelicals. Some information is getting out about what has gone on behind the scenes around a powerful person. Some comments that were made that reveals a person's heart. See, this is where I say, Listen to a person carefully. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A person can say all kinds of things in public. I'm curious to know, what does this person say in private? Well, you're going to hear. And it's not pretty either. That and much more as we continue our Tuesday broadcast of the Vince Coakley Radio Program. On the Vince Coakley Radio Program on this Tuesday, I want to quickly get to an item in The Guardian. And again, we're in a primary process, and I think it's really important that we vet everybody. I don't care who the person is and how much we think we know that person. The Guardian has this story, and here's the headline. Trump called Iowa evangelicals so-called Christians and pieces of S. Mockery over two Corinthian slip and endorsement battles in 2016 echo in 2024 race as Republican contenders seek first win. Two Corinthians. <laughs> you heard me make reference to Second Corinthians earlier. And anybody who has even popped open a Bible one time or two times knows it's called Second Corinthians. But I digress. In the heat of the Republican primary of 2016, Donald Trump called evangelical supporters of his rival Ted Cruz so-called Christians and real pieces of S. The news lands as the Republican primary heats up. In this new book, The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory, American Evangelicals in an Age of Extremism, by Tim Alberta. An influential reporter and staff writer for The Atlantic. It's going to be published December 5th. Early in the book, Alberta describes fallout from an event at Liberty University, the Evangelical College in Virginia, shortly after, shortly before the Iowa vote, January 2016. As candidates jockeyed for support from evangelicals, a powerful block in any Republican election, Trump was asked to name his favorite Bible verse. Attempting to follow the advice of Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council, the thrice-married, not-noticeably church-going New York billionaire and reality TV star introduced it as 2 Corinthians, rather than 2 Corinthians, as would have been correct. 
The laughter and ridicule were embarrassing enough for Trump. Alberta writes, But the news of Perkins endorsing Ted Cruz just a few days later sent him into a spiral. He began to speculate there was a conspiracy among powerful evangelicals to deny him the GOP nomination. In private over the coming years, Trump would use even more colorful language to describe the evangelical community. When Cruz's allies began using the 2 Corinthians line to attack him in the final days before the Iowa caucuses, Trump told one Iowa Republican official, you know, these so-called Christians hanging around with Ted are some real pieces of S. Alberta adds that in private over the coming years, Trump would use even more colorful language to describe the evangelical community. Cruz won Iowa, but Trump took the second primary contest in New Hampshire and won the nomination with ease after beating Hillary Clinton and spending four chaotic years in the White House, beaten by Joe Biden in 2020. Evangelicals remain the dominant block in Iowa, 55% of respondents to an NBC News Des Moines Register poll in August identified as devoutly religious, 55%. Despite his lengthy rap sheet, Trump's hold on such voters appears to remain strong. In October, the Register put him at 43% support overall in Iowa, with DeSantis and the former South Carolina governor, Nikki Haley, 27 points behind. 44% of evangelicals plan to make Trump their first choice, with DeSantis at 22, Haley 7 points back. Now, this is a lead-in to telling you about a man named Bob Vanderplatz, who has been on this program, I think the first time Donald Trump, Trump ran for office. He did an interview with my good friend Steve Dace on Monday. And he believes that things are turning around in the evangelical community. They are on to this man. And this is not going to be a victory for the former president. In fact, Vanderplatz endorsed Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in the primary last week, raising the ire of Trump, who quickly took to Truth Social to complain. Vanderplatz, who's president and CEO of the family leader, defended his endorsement while speaking to Dace, pulled no punches in lambasting Trump's moral character or lack thereof. Trump had some very ugly things to say, and I, I may have shared those with you already about Vanderplatz. In his typical style, you don't kiss his rear end, there will be hell to pay. Here are the comments from Bob Vanderplatz in the conversation with Steve Dace yesterday. And what you're seeing from the former president is character being revealed. Character being revealed, first of all, with Governor Reynolds and what he did by cutting a video against her. Two of the most popular governors and the most results-producing governors in the country. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds. And you completely throw them under the bus and you call them names and that just because they don't bow the knee to you. That's not leadership. 
the number one hurdle for Donald Trump is I've never met a dad or a mom or a grandpa or a grandma who have told me they want their son or daughter or grandchild to grow up to be like him. That's a big deal. Trump deserved to lose my endorsement. Matter of fact, I've never endorsed him. But he proved he was not worthy of the endorsement of me, of the ministry, and by extension, the broader body. And I believe Iowa will rise up. I believe Iowa will send a message on January 15, because I think they're seeing it through this as well. Uh, this is smoke and mirrors. This is not leadership our country needs. I'm fully with it, and this is what I've said before, and this doesn't have anything to do with tweets. This is about character. You cannot go around trying to tear down people who are, frankly, more faithful to the Constitution than you are. And frankly, more faithful to people than you are. We're talking about faithful governors who are serving their people well. If you are upset about them not in not endorsing you, just say that. They're not automatically bad people because they don't kiss your rear end. This kind of childish behavior, with all the serious things that we have going on in the United States of America now, there's just no time and no place for it. And I don't want to see an administration, which is probably going to be even less disciplined than the last one, driven by somebody with all kinds of grievances and vengeance and looking to pay people back for not endorsing him. What's it going to do to the people of Iowa, of Florida? See, this is a very vengeful, selfish man. And I don't want to see this continued anymore. May God help us. Final stretch of the Vince Coakley radio program on this Tuesday. Want to add an additional item on the political front before we go. And, you know, I... I will delve into this. Let's first talk about Biden's polling numbers. NBC saying polling for Joe Biden in more dangerous territory than Obama's in 2011. A big problem with all the talk comparing President Joe Biden's standing in the 2023 polls with Barack Obama's in 2011. Biden's current numbers are in more dangerous territory for an incumbent than Obama's ever were at this same time. For one thing, Obama held a consistent lead over GOP frontrunner Mitt Romney in the polls, minus a few exceptions immediately after the debt ceiling crisis until that first general election debate. In fact, the national November 2011 NBC News Wall Street Journal poll showed Obama leading Romney by six points compared to the latest NBC poll finding Donald Trump ahead of Biden by two points. What's more? November 2011 poll had Obama ahead of a generic Republican. November 23 poll shows Biden trailing a generic Republican by double digits. Biden also has a lower approval rating and higher disapproval than Obama ever had during his first term. And there was Obama standing with key parts of the Democratic base. November 2011, 86 points over Romney among black voters, plus 17 among voters 18 to 34. That compares with Biden's 49, plus 49 among black voters versus Trump. 
69 to 20, and Trump being plus four among 1834. These are really ugly numbers for Joe Biden. The man is in trouble. I still have a great deal of skepticism about whether he is going to be on the ballot. Time will tell. I promised we would get to David Tepper before we end the broadcast, and let's do it. Scott Fowler and Jeff Seiner from The Observer posted this. Panthers owner David Tepper fired another Carolina head coach Monday, but he didn't fire the person who's most responsible for this long run of chaos at Bank of America Stadium himself. This seems to be a consensus everywhere. I mean, it's really ugly (laughs) to see the perspectives from people that seem to form a consensus around the idea David Tepper's the problem. USA Today, the Panthers' job vacancy should come with a warning label. Why? Team owner David Tepper. Warning Ben Johnson and any others lining up as the next hot NFL head coach hire. Be very wary of what you wish for. The Carolina Panthers have a job opening, again, having dumped Frank Reich on Monday. As team owner David Tepper apparently is eager to get a jump on his hiring cycle competition. This is a tempting development for prospects climbing the ladder and anticipating a big jump. There are only 32 of those jobs available in the NFL. You can only be so choosy. But they need to seriously pay attention to the red flags. That Reich was fired just 11 games into his tenure reflects a mess that seemingly runs deeper than the Panthers' 1-10 record. Sure, the product has stunk. Carolina's had a dismal offense that runs counter to Reich's rep as an offensive guru and has swallowed up Bryce Young, drafted number one overall pick in April as the face of better things to come. Maybe Reich could have made it better with more time. Maybe not. What's not in dispute is that this is on Tepper, too. The Panthers owner got what he wished for with his choice of coach and quarterback, and it's already blown up in his face. And the conditions for the next coach will be even tougher. Tepper is positioned to hire what will be his third coach in less than two years, with Wright getting the job in January after Matt Rule was fired in 2022. His track record is not good. After Steve Wilkes inspired a turnaround as interim coach last season, Rule started 1-4. and four. Wilkes went 6-6. Six and six. Tepper dismissed the potential and looked the other way. Let's not forget that. He didn't give Wilkes a chance, despite the apparent infusion of life injected into his franchise last season with his defensive coordinator in charge. So Tepper, like too many NFL owners, sought an offensive-minded coach and burned himself. Sure, there are many examples of offensive coaches done well, just as there are defensive coaches and special teams coaches who've done well. The key is to hire the coach who can command the room and chart the course regardless of whether they came up on offense. In Carolina's case, Tepper is another type of X factor. He signed off on the big trade with the Chicago Bears in March that allowed the Panthers to move up to the top slot in the draft. They swapped first-round picks in 2023. The Panthers gave up a first-round choice in 2024 and second-round picks in 23 and 25. Plus star receiver DJ Moore. A lot of team owners would have done that. 
with GM Scott Fitterer undoubtedly brokering the deal. The trade looks even worse now, given the Panthers' plummet. Bottom line in this, <laughs> it all comes back to one man, David Tepper. Let's very quickly take a look at the day in history as our time is getting away from us. Oh, Vince. Don't you love this? I love talking crap about David Tepper, yes. I know you do. Yeah, I hate David Tepper. And all my friends hate <laughs> oh, David Tepper, too. Oh, my goodness. He's ruined this franchise. And any respect that we may have had before David Tepper bought this team is now gone. I, who wants to come here to, A, be a coach or a player? I mean, I it's a, Charlotte's, a, in my opinion, I've grown up here. I love Charlotte. And it's a great place to raise a family by all accounts. I know it's, you know, we're struggling a little bit with the crime and stuff like that. But Charlotte's a great place. And I just feel like David Tepper has, has really ruined any kind of respect that we may have, may have ever had. You may have heard more of this news conference than I did. Did you hear any any semblance of humility at no, all? No, and he, but he, he brought uh, Lionel Messi to Charlotte. So that counts for something, right, Vince? I'm sorry I'm eating up into a day in your history. Here, uh, just venting. I was screaming. Oh, I hear you. Tepper was, you know, I was oh, I hear you. I hear you. I'm glad you did. Pete was listening in on that. Maybe so. we'll talk some more about this tomorrow because oh, this please. story's not going away. What grinds Bernie's gears? David Tepper. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, 1520 is the year. This guy sailed through the straits that now bear his name. The first westward crossing of the Pacific. His name is also the name of a um, a GPS. Tom, One of the lesser-known. <laughs> um, it's Magellan. Magellan, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1861. Confederate Congress welcomes Missouri, even though Missouri had not left the Union. 1943, these leaders met in Iran to discuss arms, the, the uh, well, arms, weapons, and the war. Um, just name one of them. The major leaders of World War II. Uh, Hitler. Well... Who would have met? Would they have met to uh, discuss the war on the positive side, the oh, heroes? Um, oh, my God, Vince. I'll um, give you the names. Yeah. Churchill, Stalin, and FDR. Oh, okay. I was going to say Stalin. Two of them are good. Sorry, One Vince. of them really sucks. It's okay. <laughs> David Tepper's got my head in pretzel. I know. It's, <laughs> it has that effect on a lot of people. 1948, the first camera of this type was sold. Uh, I'll give you a hint. These, these developed themselves. This was a big development. Polaroid? Polaroid, you're absolutely right. right. 61, Ernie Davis, the first black man to win the Heisman. 63, Cape Canaveral named Cape Kennedy. 89, communism dies in Czechoslovakia, and you have to get this last one. 1994, this serial killer murdered in prison. Everybody's been talking about him in recent years for whatever reason. A series done about him. Is it Charles Manson? Oh, I can't believe you missed this one. Oh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's Dahmer. It's okay. That's all the time we have. And, uh, hey, don't let, do not let David Tepper ruin your day, ladies and gentlemen. Go out and have a great day. Lord willing, we're back tomorrow, same time. Have a good one. God bless you.